Um, are we good? All right. Well, the concept of grace, it is fundamental to who we are as Christians. But I want to ask you, do you really know what it means? Do you really understand how it plays out in your life and how you are to respond to it? There are many definitions of grace, but quite simply, it can be defined as the help or favor granted to one who is undeserving and with no thought of any return. The help or favor granted to one who is undeserving and with no thought of any return. You've heard it described as perhaps an unmerited gift. And we understand this specifically in salvation and the Christian life. And we know this. We understand grace. It's all about grace. We talk about grace. We thank God for grace. But like many things that become familiar in the Christian life and in church lingo, we may not fully appreciate it. At least not anymore. Not as we perhaps once did when we were first saved. We may not truly live it out. Maybe there was a time when you were first saved that you were on fire. You were telling everyone the gospel. You were telling people about grace. And then life came in again. Work came in. Family came in. And you simply nod to grace, but you don't really live it out. And so this morning, I want to remind you of what the reality of grace is and what that means in your life and ministry from 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 11. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 11? We've been working our way verse by verse through 1 Corinthians, and we find ourselves in chapter 15, the theme of which is Paul addressing yet another misconception, wrong thinking, error in doctrine in the Corinthians' lives, this time about the resurrection. And we have seen thus far, he has explained the gospel, he has talked about the gospel, and now in light of the gospel, he talks about himself. And through this, we will learn about grace. Verses 9-11, through 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. This morning I want to give you four affirmations of God's grace from the life of the Apostle Paul. Four affirmations of God's grace that we'll see from the life of the Apostle Paul. In other words, as we look at Paul's explanation of his life and ministry in light of the gospel that he has just explained to the Corinthians, we will see four truths about God's grace that are affirmed for us in our lives today. Four affirmations of God's grace from the life of the Apostle Paul. The first affirmation of God's grace is the product of grace. The product of grace. Look at verse 9 again. He says, For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. On the heels of verse 8, which we saw last week, where Paul refers to himself as one untimely born, remember that means a miscarriage, an abortion, he now explains his self-description. 
of all the apostles, he considers himself the least. So much so that he realizes that he is even unworthy of being an apostle at all. And this belief is not without precedent in his writings. In Ephesians 3.8, he goes a step further and says he is least of all the saints, all the believers. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he tells Timothy he calls himself the chief of sinners, which aligns with his explanation here in 1 Corinthians. His reasoning for this line of thinking is explained at the end of the verse. He says, because I persecuted the church of God. We are familiar with his previous life before he was saved, before he was called to serve the living God. As a well-respected leader in the Jewish community and religious life, he was known for his passion in persecuting the church of God pursuing Christians relentlessly for the sake of hurting them, even killing them. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, Saul, Paul's pre-conversion name, says he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And this wasn't just someone getting mad and saying, I wish I could kill them. He really wanted to do this. And previous to this eye-opening revelation about Saul's heart, he stood by while Stephen was stoned to death. We're told in Acts 8.1, agreeing heartily with that man's execution. This stoning of Stephen erupted into a mass persecution against the Jerusalem church, and it was Paul who literally went house to house looking for Christians. And when he found them, we are told he dragged them to prison. The word used in Acts 8.3 to describe what Paul was doing to the church is the word ravaging. He was ravaging the church. See, this was not some casual observer who was bothered by Christians. Eh, I don't really like them, but you know what? They'll do their thing. I'll do my thing. No. We know he had hate anger, violence in his heart, and the authority, and praise for that matter, to act upon it, which he did. The word persecuted that Paul uses in our passage does not mean just to persecute, but also means to hunt down, to pursue. Not just to persecute if they come, he comes across them, but to go and look for them, to hurt them, to persecute them. And it was as he was pursuing that very act of persecution that God saved him in that infamous scene on the road to Damascus. Not because Paul changed his ways, not because he realized he was wrong, not because he turned to compassion rather than anger. No. This was grace. God changed Paul's ways. God told him he was wrong. God turned him to a heart of compassion. Left to his own devices, Paul wouldn't be writing out of love and concern to help the Corinthians turn more to Christ. In fact, he'd probably be doing nothing to them since he would have long ago imprisoned or killed them all. And yet here he is, writing to them the gospel. This is grace. It is this understanding 
his full appreciation of the wickedness of his former life that makes him say not only that he is the least of the apostles, but that he shouldn't even be called one at all, not to mention being the chief of sinners and least of all saints. He understood. To be fair, nobody is in and of themselves worthy to be a Christian. And so in the same vein, nobody is worthy to be called an apostle. But at the same time, none of the other apostles were former persecutors of the church. And so we understand where he's coming from. We understand his thinking here. I called our first point the product of grace. So what is the product of grace? In a word, humility. The fact that Paul was a recipient of grace rather than judgment kept him humble all the days of his life. What he did as a persecutor of the church, he did for God, you understand, in his mind. He did that to honor God. As a devout Jew, he thought that's what God wanted. From his and his religion's point of view, what he was doing was good. It was noble. And yet now, knowing better, he makes no excuses. He doesn't say, well, that's how I was raised. I didn't know any better. That was my culture. That was what my leaders were telling me to do. I plead ignorance. He doesn't blame the established religion. He doesn't blame the rabbis who trained him, the leaders who encouraged him. No, he responds to grace by saying, I am worthless and God is gracious. We have a lot to learn from this very example. We like to justify, we like to excuse, we like to blame shift. Not just about our past, but even our present sins. But when you as a believer truly understand grace, you recognize the reason and need for grace because of your sin. And in that full recognition, you have no other choice but to be humble. Because like Paul, we should all be blown away, brought to our knees, that we are now recipients of grace rather than objects of judgment. And this is why making excuses and blame shifting doesn't just sound like pride. It is pride. But on the other end of the spectrum, we see Paul's humility in his approach to service. He never says, yeah, I was horrible. I was a wicked sinner, but now I'm saved. And God used all these wonderful gifts and talents and, that I have. I deserve this. No. He recognizes, again, it is all grace. And we'll look at this more in the next verse regarding his ministry. It's important to note, too, that he does not let this accurate view of himself keep him from serving. He doesn't say, I'm, I'm the least of the apostles. I shouldn't even be an apostle. And you know what? Just forget it. Stop writing me your questions, Corinthians. I, I'm not worthy. I can't do it. I can't serve. 
You want to hear about this new way? You know, talk, talk to Peter. Talk to someone else. I, I'm just, I'm too much of a sinner. He doesn't do that. He never shied away from using his God-given authority, nor did he doubt God's plan to make him an apostle. He just recognizes the truth about himself and God's grace. You see, for us, we need to be careful. We do not confuse humility with an inadequacy or inability to serve. The key is understanding that you are adequate to serve. You should serve, but not because of you, because of God. This is the product of grace. To fully understand who we are, what God has done. To not only be recipients of it, but to respond to it. And this leads us to our second affirmation of God's grace, the perception of grace. The perception of grace. Verse 10, the first half, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain. One of the most valuable tools for the advancement of the Christian life is being self-aware. Being aware of yourself. For example, to know your strengths and to know your weaknesses. To know where you need to grow, what you need to work on, what you need to be careful of. To know what temptations you're most vulnerable to and what types of sins you are most easily provoked to commit. Being self-aware. By the way, you know who I realize is very self-aware? Prius drivers who have bumper stickers that say things like, I used to be cool. They're very self-aware. Although, I guess joke's on us these days with those gas prices. Being self-aware for the Christian in relationships and in ministry, self-awareness will help you as well to understand what your gifts are to understand how you come across to people, how you are perceived, to know who you tend to love, what kind of people you tend to love and why, to know who you avoid and why you avoid those people so that you can work on those things in the Lord. And all of these things must be grounded in a proper and correct understanding of who you are before the Lord. So when you do examine yourself, You don't blame others for your sin, and you don't pat yourself on the back for your victories. You just look to Christ. And that's what we see here in the Apostle Paul. A self-awareness that is grounded in a perception of grace in his life. Having established the evil that once described his very being, his very existence, he now recognizes that he is totally different, 180 degrees He's loving. He is truly God-glorifying. He is serving, but all because of grace. My question for you is, do you with Paul say that by the grace of God, I am what I am? I'm not asking if you can say that, because you can if you're a believer. I'm asking, do you do that? Do you recognize that? Because all it takes is just 30 seconds 
of you stopping in your frantic, busy, Bay Area lifestyles. Turn off the radio. Turn off the TV. Just think. All it takes is a few seconds to realize that the reality of grace is undeniable in your life and, frankly, around the world. And so the question is, are you so in tune with the will of God and an understanding of human depravity that you know that anything good in you, as defined by God, is by the grace of God? Not you. This is, of course, more than mere lip service. This is also not just a yes or no, but a sliding scale, which is good news for us because it means we can excel still more in our appreciation and understanding of God's grace in our lives. Can I give you some ways to determine whether you fully recognize that the grace of God made you who you are? We talked about humility. Are you proud when you compare yourself to others? Or are you judgmental? Do you, do you criticize? Do you condemn? Do you mock other people and their ministries? I could do better. Or do you recognize it's grace in you, and it's grace in him, and it's grace in her, it's grace in all of us? If you do any of these things, then you have some work to do in recognizing and appreciating God's grace. And I got news for you. If that describes you, you are in for a treat. Because you will find joy, you will find love, you will find worship in that recognition. Let me ask you some more. Do you get angry at the lost or brainwash cult members because of how sinful or misguided they are? Again, if the answer is yes, then you might be thinking that you know what you know and you are what you are as a believer, knowing God's Word because of your own efforts rather than the grace of God, which, by the way, plug for evangelism, you have the privilege of delivering to them the opportunity to receive that grace as well. On the other side of the spectrum, we must be careful that in the name of humility or in the acknowledgement of grace, we do not ignore what God is doing in and through us. Because Paul goes on and says in verse 10, And His grace toward me did not prove vain. The word vain means unproductive, without success. In other words, Paul gets that he is a good guy now. He's on the right team. He is fully aware of the impact of his ministry and the sacrifices he has made for God's glory. How he has been used for the advancement of the Christian faith. He's not going to say, no, 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 I didn't write that. He did write it. No, 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 I didn't disciple that guy. I didn't plant that church. He did do those things. He is even aware that as an apostle, other Christians must obey him. But underneath all of that, he recognizes it's all grace. That's what he means. Grace that did not prove vain. He says, I look at grace and I see my life. I see my ministry. I see what the Lord has accomplished through me. And I recognize that his grace did not prove vain. Much was achieved through Paul. The Corinthians themselves are proof of that. People like to read 
into his writings and say, Paul's so proud. He's just bragging. He's arrogant. No, he's not. He just fully understands grace. And grace isn't about saying, oh yeah, God is so good. He gave me what I don't deserve. But yeah, I did nothing. There's a recognition that God is working through us and accomplishing much. The danger is when we think it's because we deserve it or we're good enough or it's all us and not God or mostly us, little bit God. No, it's a team effort. And when we, Paul looks at his life and ministry and we look at our lives and ministries, we don't just see a subtle force called grace there in the background buzzing in our ear. We recognize it is powerful. We recognize the true power in God's grace. And that leads us to our third affirmation of God's grace, the power of grace. Look at the second part of verse 10. He says, But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. This could easily fall under the perception of grace that we just saw. Compared to the other apostles, Paul is saying he had exerted greater exertion and achieved arguably greater impact. But he makes it clear that he's not bragging, at least not in himself. Not I, he says, but the grace of God with me. Although speaking of his apostleship here, this is a great parallel to the call to contribute to your own sanctification, but with the power of God that we see in Philippians 2. 12 and 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul recognizes that he's not better than the other apostles because of this hard work. Don't misunderstand what he's saying here. In fact, his inferiority to them is the whole point of what he's writing. And the only reason he knows he's not better because he knows it's not him. It is God. It is God's grace. You've missed the whole point if you just read that phrase and and think, oh, see, Paul thinks he's better than the other apostles. You might even justifiably make that own argument in your lives as you read the epistles and say, well, definitely Paul had a bigger impact in my life and the church today than any of the other guys. Kudos to him. No. Paul would say, no, no, no. I'm not bragging in myself. You totally misunderstand me. It's God's grace. But at the same time, we need to recognize that the Christian life is hard work. The word he uses here is labored. It means to work hard to the point of exhaustion. I think we all have experienced this at some point, whether it was an all-nighter in college or recently with a newborn, maybe a deadline meeting work week, or whatever it was. We've all experienced the unique weariness that comes with straining yourself to the limit, even if it's just temporarily. But what is so important to understand is that Paul did this Not for recognition, not for a paycheck, not for obedient children, for the Lord. 
He labored to the point of exhaustion for the Lord and my friends. Do you? Do you? I know many of you do it for that paycheck. Many of you do it for the mortgage, to win that girl for marriage. Do you do it for the Lord? Do you do it for us, the church? There's a whole sermon there about idols and priorities. See, the power of grace is not just found in grace, but also in our response to it. As with working out our salvation by the power and will of God, so ministry is both a response and an effect of grace. Christian, you must find that balance that works synergistically. That humility and trust that results from grace and the willingness and work that responds to grace. Stop letting the security of your salvation and the blessings of God make you lazy in your pursuit of holiness. Well, I'm going to heaven anyways. What does it matter? Freedom in Christ, right? I can pursue those things. It's not sin. But on the other hand, stop letting the command to excel still more make you proud in ignoring grace and only focusing on your own efforts and the results of your ministries. Because when you master this, both sides of the equation, you truly understand and experience the power of grace. Well, we're looking at affirmations of God's grace. We've seen the product of grace, the perception of grace, the power of grace, and finally, the predictability of grace. Verse 11. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. At this point, Paul brings us back out of the trees to see the forest, the broader context. Remember, he's talking about the resurrection, both of Christ and believers, and he segues into this topic with this verse, and next week we'll begin really looking into his teaching or his correction, really, of the Corinthians regarding resurrection. There are details of what he's saying here in verse 11 that are important, such as the fact that faith or belief is the logical and normal response to gospel preaching. Also, the reality that there are many apostles along with many others preaching the gospel both then and now. But the main point he's making is that all the apostles are preaching the same gospel And in that gospel, the resurrection is a common denominator. So much so that it's not the gospel without the resurrection. Everyone who's preaching agrees that the resurrection was for Christ and will be for us real. There was no confusion or diversity of opinion on this. All the apostles were preaching the same thing and in turn All Christians who believe this preaching also hold this truth in common. We understand things are different today, more and more so. There are people preaching all kinds of nonsense, falsely in the name of Christ, falsely calling it a gospel. 
but the true gospel, the simplicity of which we've seen over the past two weeks, includes the resurrection. And true believers have believed this preaching, which includes the resurrection. And we've already seen him appeal to the consensus regarding church behavior earlier. He is now doing the same thing regarding the apostolic message. We're all preaching the same thing, and it includes the resurrection. Of course, it includes the other parts, but his point here in 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection. So, four affirmations of God's grace from the life of the Apostle Paul. The product of grace, the perception of grace, the power of grace, and the predictability of grace. In the end, the concept is very simple. It is going back to the gospel. It is going back to having a proper understanding of your sin and a high view of God and what He has done in your life. Do you respond to grace? Do you live in grace day by day? I know it's easy to say. It's easy for me to tell you to do that. But what I want you to do is this afternoon or more so tomorrow at work, to evaluate your life, your Christian life, which is your life, in view of how you understand grace. You understand it. You can define it, but are you living it out? Even that momentary frustration with a coworker. Ask yourself, do I understand the grace in my life? When you look at the church and you say, eh, those guys serve, every, it's, look at Sunday morning, everything's handled, I need to focus on this, I need to put in overtime, because I need to buy that, whatever. Ask yourself, are you living out grace? When you get mad at your spouse, when you yell at your children, when you get frustrated with traffic, this is not a call, as you've heard me say before, to be taken advantage of to let people rob you, steal your money, whatever it is. You understand what I'm saying here? To have the right perspective on life because of what Christ has done for you. And if this man, this man who just this morning, in just a few verses, we have learned so much from, who outside of grace would have enjoyed watching us being tortured to death, literally, and now by grace is serving God, can find this humility, can, can find this impassioned energy for the Lord and for God's people who, as we've seen in 1 Corinthians, aren't always very nice to Him. Flat out rude, disgusting, some of their behavior, to say, it's all grace. Look at my ministry, but it's all grace. Yes, I've done more than these other guys, but it's all grace. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, 
yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. The concept of grace, it is fundamental to who we are as Christians. But do you really know what it means? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace, your undeserved kindness toward us. Help us, Father, to respond and live in light of it, live because of it, just like the Apostle Paul did. Thank you for his example and his clear testimony here. Guard us, Lord, from thinking it's just something of the past when we first came to know you. Give us the wisdom and discernment to know how it plays out in our lives, how we need to live it out more, to respond to it in our lives, in our ministries. Guard us against the pride of looking at our own efforts and our condemnation of the world. But may we be those who witness to the grace of God in our lives and we may display it and share it and preach it to others. In each one of our hearts and minds and daily lives, Lord, teach us where we need to grow in this area. Show us the sins and the thinking that we need to turn from to repent of. Show us the areas of obedience and worship that we need to pursue and put on. Not because we want recognition, not because we merely want to do the right thing, but because, Lord, you are worthy. And above all else, Lord, may that be the theme of our lives, a constant understanding, privilege, and burden to know that you alone are worthy of all. Use us to this end, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.